What's up, y'all? I'm JJ McCorvey. I'm a journalist who writes about business and blackness. And I'm Shayna Watson, a fashion industry professional and writer with my eye on the social and cultural impact of trends and style. And, and this, this is, is Yo business. business. I've been working real hard. Two yeah. jobs. <laughs> <laughs> no, we gotta finish yeah. it. <laughs> Go ahead. With God on my side, keeping, keeping me alive. alive. Okay, so I knew that. It's gonna be fine. (laughs) So fun. I was like, either either he will know it right away or he's never seen it. Yes. Immediately. That was such a good my sister, my older sister Joy, obsessed with Thea. I loved it. Obsessed. Until I learned how mean she was to Brandy. What? Yeah, apparently there was a lot of back backstage drama between Thea and Brandy. Like, Wasn't Brandy like a youth? Yeah, exactly. And Brandy was like, I just couldn't understand why she was being so mean to me. No, like, oh, why? I don't know. Oh. Anyway, good, good, yeah. good choice. <laughs> thank you, yeah. thank you, thank you. I dig, I, I dig Thea. Yes. Um. So... Last week, we did something really exciting on What's our that? episode. We have a listener survey. Mm-hmm. So, like, what prompted us to do this was Jocelyn's awesome advice um, of, like, we have listeners out there who also have knowledge that we don't have and that also can give us a direction for content. And so we want to hear from them and we want to know who you guys are and where you're listening from. Because, like, as we think about how big we are praying that this will be, we want to do live shows. And if we know that you all live in a city, we could do a live show there and things like that. Also, so, what you want to listen to. Like, right. what, are, what are the topics that are uh, top of mind for you right now? What industries you're in? Um, what do you want to see more of on the podcast? So it will be very helpful for us if you could um, uh, click the link in, our, uh, in the episode description. Yeah, it's going to be in like every right episode description, so just click it. And it's, <laughs> and it's real cool quick y'all we promise oh yeah it's very fast um and then also in the notes will be our patreon and our listener support links mm-hmm. and so uh you know we love doing this and every time we pay an editor we're like yep we love it but mm-hmm. it's we we would love to be able to also have support so we can do more and be able to continue doing this so if you guys can pay attention to our show notes we put some good stuff in there and like mm-hmm. we kind of give you interview themes and interview jump timestamps and so please pay attention to listener notes yeah thank you okay what happened this week uh lots happened um so i learned something really kind of devastating um not devastating recently yeah devastating so um as you know one of the um byproducts of the Obama administration uh, was that he pulled us out of the Great Recession and um, laid the groundwork for what we see now in uh, our employment um, uh, environment where we have rising wages, um, low unemployment rate, um, you know, job market is pretty tight, except for, guess, Black people? Black people. <laughs> Duh. So um, the Bureau of Labor Statistics put out um, a report that showed from twenty from 2007 to 2017, um, uh, inflation-adjusted median weekly earnings rose only 1.2% for African-American workers since 2007. Versus 5% for white workers, 6% for Asian workers, and 10% for Hispanic workers. That was the interesting stat to me. Um, But what was not so interesting and not surprising at all was that um, African Americans saw the very least amount of um, increase in in wages. And I'm just kind of baffled by it. I mean, that's almost like no change. Like, all these other groups are like seeing um pay raises and you know are benefiting from um the uh, economic environment and black employees frankly are not and i really like when they break things down uh racially that way because i think it does point we talk about all of this like we're the same we're all americans and it's like but look Look yeah. what's happening. And I, I think I told you at work, I like said something that I was worried would get me fired. But um, it was during uh, 
like gender equal pay day when mm-hmm. it's like this day, this is the calendar day where women have to work to get the same amount of money mm-hmm. as men. And I think it was in April. And so they were talking about it at work and I looked up and said, yeah, but mine's in August. Oh. Because it is. Mm. As as women, when we don't consider race, for, for white women, it's April. Mm. For black women, it's August. Right. For Hispanic women, I think it's, no, it's November. Qu- crickets. Hush mouth. Because <laughs> what could happen? But also, like, so we're not all here working the same, getting the same pay. And so right. I like when things are broken down like that so we can really see, like, where the disparities lie. Yeah. I mean, it's... um. It's it's pretty sad. Actually, the Urban Institute um, said that to your point, gender disparities are actually responsible for some of the um, the the wage gap. Um, so it said uh, black women have higher labor force participation than black men, but they earn less on average. Um, and then um, the the fellow here at the Urban Institute, Margaret Sims, she said, for African-American men, a larger percentage of the population is incarcerated while labor force participation of men who are non-institutionalized, that is not incarcerated and not in the military, has gone down. So, um, yeah, this side to start us off with some bad news, but I think it's important that as we, you know, talk about race and all these other contexts and, um, you know, as always, we always have to uh, combat these notions that race is still not a factor. And, you know, oh, black people, why don't you just pull yourself up by your bootstraps mm-hmm. and, you know, just just go for it. Um, clearly, there are things at play, you know, that we people just don't have control over. Well, like, I'm sure the, I'm sure this person who works at McDonald's that they quoted, you know, wants to know why uh, he, he hasn't seen a, a pay raise, you know. In, in five years yeah know. and i think it's that hiring black people isn't enough mm. you have to hire them and then pay them equally which yeah. i didn't think we thought i didn't think that we thought we had to say but but also nurture them in their careers like often i feel like what we don't see is like the kind of um career track you know uh promotion like in terms of like mentorship and in terms of like you know uh making sure that this person is successful um at the company they stay in the same position at right. the company forever or just leave. Right. Um, and so... And are underpaid, and according. Are underpaid. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah. And then that also got me thinking about... Um, <laughs> did you see this Ancestry.com? No, you sent show? that bullshit to my WhatsApp. <laughs> and the minute I clicked on it, I said, not today, Satan. Not I doing like it. I feel like we have to play some of it. Abigail, we can escape to the north. There's a place we can be together across the border. Wait, can you stop it? Uh, Will you leave with me? This is a this is a black slave you're talking to. No, (laughs) I'm cringing. My eyeballs are about to come out. It's a black slave. That that is a white slave person i'm i'm assuming in my mind like son of the slave master talking about we can escape to the north that's not a love story you fuckers that's That's rape i'm this i'm like it's definitely not how most love stories it's not a love story in slave time yuck yuck Um, yuck ancestry like the biggest f you that's just that is so disgusting and tone deaf and like ugh. and just for due diligence i want to just present what ancestry.com came with as far as like an apology so they said ancestry is committed to telling important stories from history this ad was intended to represent one of those stories we very much appreciate the feedback we have received and apologize for any offense that the ad may have caused we are in the process of pulling the ad from television and have removed it from youtube great but my question is, I want to know who approved it. Like, who worked on this ad? I, how much do you want to bet, like, not a single black person worked on this How ad? much do you want to... even? Like, I, I don't see it. I'm not saying there wasn't a single black person, but there wasn't a black person aware of the way that we should approach an active atrocity, right? Like, yeah. I think that's what happened is, like, people think that we should all be so over slavery right. that we can tell stories like this and they still want to call uh, Thomas Jefferson's 
slave his mistress and you know what i mean it's like stories like that where we it's we're so flippant about a massacre that lasted for so long like did they make a holocaust one Mm. right they would Mm -hmm. never they would never because that is disgusting and how could you ever even try to find a light-hearted side to what happened I don't think people. I don't think black people who are trying to get ancestry.com results are like. I wonder uh, what kind of if they were in love. No, and you know I did ancestry DNA, and I'm a quarter white, which is. And you you didn't assume. I didn't assume that they were in love. I didn't. (laughs) And absconded together. I didn't. No, and that she was dressed like Addie. Like she was dressed like Addie from American Girls. (laughs) Get out of here! That was. Yeah. I'm mad that you got me riled up once again. Because when I'm you send it, when you sent it, it was like late at night. I'm like, nope. Yeah. Not going to bed with this. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. But it happened. The last related story I have to this is, um, you know, again, this is, and this is why, like, I feel like the diversity drum needs to keep beating um, is, so, you know, uh, for over the past few years, like, a lot of tech companies have been pressured to diversify their workforces. Um, Google, Microsoft, Facebook, um, Apple, all these companies. And um, two, uh, so two posts on um, an online messaging board uh, within Microsoft recently uh, were leaked um, uh, to courts. Um, and the, the posts were actually written by a Microsoft program manager. And this woman says, quote, does Microsoft have any plans to end the current policy that financially incentivizes discriminatory hiring practices? To be clear, I am referring to the fact that senior leadership is awarded more money if they discriminate against Asians and white men. Um, the employee com- commented consistently throughout the thread, making similar arguments. She said, I have an ever increasing file of white male Microsoft employees who have faced outright and overt discrimination because they had the misfortune of being born both white and male. This is unacceptable. Huh? Which is like, wait, what kind of dis? what? Why? <laughs> I mean, I, I I get what you're saying, but I'm just also confused of like what, she's mad, what straight but, white male discrimination comes out at Microsoft. None. That's the point. Like, <laughs> it's um. I mean, the post. It, it, to be fair, like the post racked up like a thousand comments, even and even like other male programmers jumped in to like oppose her. It just made me feel like this is why we have to keep beating this drum and to keep covering this issue because there are. Still, apparently, a lot of people in these tech companies who oppose the um, the hires who um, are hired with the intent of diversifying the workforce. So yeah, and I feel like all of these just point to the reminder that white is the default, right? Like when we think about what a tech programmer looks like, or when we think about uh, who's in the rooms at these places, white is so often the default, and. Something that came across my timeline this week, which was like, duh, but um, ProPublica released a report that showed that TSA scanners are were not programmed to recognize black and textured hair. Apparently, these scanners that we like trust our life and well-being with and have been programmed to figure out if I have like residue of a bomb on my hands mm-hmm. cannot read afros, braids, twists, locks, curls, or a ponytail. But it's so interesting. As a black woman, I have not traveled since those scanners without them touching my hair, no matter how my hair is. It can be in twists. It can be in a twist out. It can be in a bun. And one time when I was feeling like extra knuck if you buck, Mm -hmm. I asked one of the TSA ladies why she didn't pat down the woman in front of me who had... Oh, she was a white woman. She had a bun in her hair, but you could tell she had one of those like donuts in there. There's mm-hmm. like a hair donut that you could put in to make your bun fuller. Mm-hmm. Um, and I asked her why she hadn't pat her down, mm-hmm. and um, she just she said her it didn't show up on the scan. Mm. So this story, I guess, confirms a hundred percent. And it's just like it's it's crazy to me. People programmed this machine, right? Like this yeah. machine was created by humans, programmed by humans. 
and it can get down to such a tiny micro scan. You're telling me it couldn't recognize that our hair, instead of growing in a straight line, grows in a spiral and it it couldn't look around that spiral. Like, I'm just like, that was intentional. And that is because all of the testing that you think of how much testing had to be done before they rolled this out was all on white people. Right. Right. You didn't even test it on people of color, which is crazy because you think all terrorists are brown. Right. So why would you have brought a brown person with a turban? Like, I'm just confused. It's For me, it's more about the oversight because I don't think that. The, the developers of the machines are like, let's only test this on white people so that we can only flag brown yeah, and- people. I, I think it it's just y'all don't even think to like have... Right, we're not even a consideration. Yeah, that, Same which, with the, which is almost worse. worse. Same with the soap dispensers <laughs> or the hand dryers that didn't yeah. recognize brown skin. It's like, yeah, maybe, maybe it wasn't like an evil villain in there saying we don't want black people to be able to dry their hands. Yeah. But you, when you think of human beings and that you're making this for human beings, we don't even cross yeah. your mind. You know what else this makes me think of is um, Amazon's facial recognition technology that they're selling to uh, police uh agencies right now mm-hmm. like it like they their technology has been shown like several times to not um accurately uh detect uh dark-skinned faces mm-hmm. and they've like begrudgingly just now like started to um feed more data into their uh into this technology it's called amazon recognition um that includes like darker pigments right like just now after selling it to the cops (laughs) yeah so it's just like a reminder that yeah the oversight is so large and we our lives are always affected and this week also flint they did announce that flint was getting 77.0 million dollar grant um from the state of michigan to put towards all these water issues that they've been having Mm -hmm. So, I mean, some things happening. Yes, finally. It's just like crazy how long it's been going on. Yeah. But we care a lot about our buildings, y'all. Unless we're we're trying to gentrify the neighborhood and then tear them down. (laughs) Oh. That's how it works. It baffles me all the time. Like the, the things that get people's attention versus the things that don't. I saw like friends, um... Posting pictures of the cathedral and talking about, like, how France, you know, was devastated now. And, you know, they had been, um, like, multiple posts about, like, how they felt so inspired when they went in, you know, whatever year. And I'm just like, cool, cool. But there's other stuff happening right Right. here. And and I've never been with the fight that we can only care about one thing at a time. Yeah. But it just felt like a collective strong Nobody energy. Nobody was hurt. Yeah. yeah. It was a building. Yeah. At some point, I was just like, enough. Like, right. Like, come on, y'all. Right. Back, come on, back. Like, yeah, back to reality report, now. The Mueller report was just released, like, yeah. and Trump just got off again. Like, back, back here. Focus. Right. You know. Yeah. Well, it's funny. That brings me to the next thing that I noticed this week that I kind of am rolling my eyes about. But um, so apparently we are going to get a black news channel. Say what? 24 hours, black news gathered, written and produced by by black people. Is this BET? For black people. <laughs> FUBU meets BET. Um So, no, the Black News Channel will be a unique multi-platform news and information channel created for African-Americans, subscription television's most dynamic, high-growth, and loyal customers. So, I wanted to be excited, Mm -hmm. but then I took a little extra dig to see who was behind it and kind of try to get the scope of what this news channel would be. Um, And so, the founder behind it is Julius Caesar Watts Jr., who is a Republican, um... I think he's since retired from politics, but he supported McCain, often endorsed Rand Paul for twenty eight for the twenty sixteen presidential elections. Um so I'm I'm interested to know what scope this black news channel will take. Yeah, I'm looking at some of the people. It's like um among the list of owners or investors include um, Angela Saylor, who um, is a black woman who works for the super right wing Heritage Foundation. Um, Elroy Saylor, who served on the Trump transition team. Like, 
I, I don't. Yeah, know I, I think I this is going to be scary and something that we don't want. <sighs> oh, and so this guy you talked about, he's white. The he's so the co- he's the co-founder and CEO, and he's Julius what? Caesar. Robert Brilliant. No, Julius Caesar Watts. That's the guy on the left, JC. Oh, okay. Yeah. He, so he's black. Or at least he's the face behind he's it. He's the chairman and co-founder. Okay. But the CEO and co-founder, is Robert white. John Br- Which Brilliant. lets you know what they're trying to... They're gonna, guys, don't. They're trying to brainwash us. How does black... How is this white guy the CEO of Black News Because Channel? he has a mouthpiece in I, JC. Man. So, yeah. I'm All like... Right. I, I'm scared. I'm like very scared to see what it is when it rolls out. Because I think that... You know, anything that's funneled to a black audience, you always have to be a little leery of what they're teaching us and why. Um, So it makes me nervous. Speaking (laughs) of media, so we're going to do a quick touch here because we saw, I feel like you and I both saw a lot of content last week. We did. We saw Guava Island Mm -hmm. on Amazon, which came out right after Donald Glover's Coachella performance. We went to see Little together. Mm And I have yet to see Homecoming. I watched it last night. Did you? Oh, my gosh. Okay. Oh. So, okay. Well, okay. Oh. So, you can stand and I'll just have to watch oh. it. But, all right. Let's start. Let's talk about Guava Island quick. This has so, to be like hot takes. Guava Island hot take um, question mark. Question mark. That's all I got. What I will say is Guava Island question mark colon accents <laughs> comma Black women, comma, erroneous head wrap and and twisted hair does not island make, period. How was Rihanna so yes, the accents? There were like five different 100. accents happening. And you know, my friend pointed out, we you know, I just came back from Turks. There were a lot of accents there, right? Because yeah. people were coming from Haiti and Bermuda and like there was like a whole Hispanic but influence. Donald Glover's. But Donald Glover's. <laughs> and at one point he sounded like Sean Connery. I'm like, he's Scottish, I think, or something. It just... I'm He started one place and then by the end of the, the movie he was like, you know what? For, yeah, forget, forget it. I gotta focus it. on yeah. this. <laughs> yeah, I can't do it all. I, I have a very important third yeah. act here. Exactly. <laughs> I have to focus yeah, on the wrap up is the strong. Is strong. Yeah, so I y'all deliver. gonna get whatever accent yeah, I got to yeah, give. Yeah. He did give up. Little. Little Little Let's talk about it. Is Okay, so <laughs> this is what Marseille, I love, I love her. She's amazing. She's amazing. And she, when she gets, when she's in these interviews, she just has a clarity of mind that we only get when we are walking in our purpose and when we have a black mother, right? Like I think her, her mom, like somebody asked her about keeping grounded and she literally said, cause I have a black mom. Mm. Like she's like, I don't care how many companies I have. My mom's like, but did you? clean your room right. right like nothing will keep you <laughs> humble like uh, your black mom right. reminding you right. like beyonce uh said she uh, you know didn't get right until tina slapped her in the mouth one day in the store that, that changed everything everything right yeah. and so i love that i think what this movie did for me was made me recognize how my knowledge often does not allow me to enjoy mm-hmm. um i think that you know, Marseille says that she saw the movie Big with Tom Hanks and thought, how cool would it be for us to make a black woman-centered one, yeah. which, like, is the the title Little yeah. and all of that. But then she went to adults to write it who I feel like had more responsibility to make it a responsible comedy. And there was one joke. Um, it was, like, a quick flippant, flippant trans joke mm. that I... It happened. See, I don't even remember that. It happened good. It happened close to the beginning. It was before she even changed into a little girl. Maybe I was already groaning by then. Right. And to, to me, I just, I don't, we got to teach our kids something different. And so if this was really for kids, yeah. um, I just felt like it lacked some responsibility. Um, but yeah. I just, it was just really random. And I wanted to love it so much because so I many did of my too. are in it. Yeah. But, um, but well, we had a similar feeling in Girls in Trip. Girls Trip, and then once we found out it was the same writer, we were like, "Duh, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah." Because Girls Trip, Girls Trip, the same to me was so slapstick; it almost felt lazy. Where it's yeah. just like, "How long is this peeing scene gonna last?" Right. Like, 
I just think we can do smarter. <laughs> yeah. It felt very Tyler but Perry. My takeaway from Little was that sometimes we can just go see things for support. And yeah. That's it. You know, but like, I, are I don't we... need to write a think piece. I don't need to necessarily enjoy it. I don't need to stand up and like applaud like people were right. when we saw Little. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, but... but I can go and celebrate this like this young black girl like being uh, a producer on this huge movie but does our support mean that we're okaying that this is the kind of content that we're going to be getting right like i had a friend ask me that question because i felt the same way it's just yeah. like maybe next time i'll buy a ticket and not go right because i want to support these projects but then am i also supporting that i don't want to see responsible comedy yeah. and that's why i was kind of uh surprised because i feel like isa has given us such an evolution of black comedy and black life that I was almost a little surprised that having her on it, there there wasn't a little more. She was, she, yeah, I think she was. And I think her character was the least problematic. Yeah. She had, I think her character had like an evolution, right? You know, as far as like finding her voice, but I don't think Issa was involved in In the the writing. Yeah. So I think it would have looked a lot different. Right. So, I mean, it's hard. Cheers for Marseille. I just, I love her. And to be honest, her next movie, I will also support it. Like, she's 14 years old, and really out here thing. busting through every ceiling. So, yeah. go go ahead, girl. But, um, okay. And then, with this last time, I want you to just stand about Homecoming. I haven't seen it, but I listened to the whole album a hundred times already. Yeah. What I will say is that the, um, so I watched it with, my uh my bestie and white roommate Evan last night. Okay. <laughs> um he loved it. Um but what I will say is that listening to the album does not do it justice because it's like I mean it's basically like the Coachella right. you know, performance. Right. Group. Which I watched last year. Yeah. But it I I remember like smiling the whole time. Mm. Like that, like my my cheeks were hurting. But do we get footages? You do get some footages. Okay. In the words of Cardi. Yeah. Um. So you see like some of the behind the scenes of the production. You see um, Beyonce like snapping on folks for not um, getting steps right. Oh. You see, you see um, uh, uh, Blue like teaching steps. You oh, see, I love that. Yeah, and and I and what I just love, I cannot mention this last time, but I went to um, a high school. I grew up in Mississippi, and I went to a high school that was predominantly black, and also modeled its marching band off of a lot of these historically black colleges, like Jackson State University, mm-hmm. and Tuskegee, and FAMU, and um, you know, and 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 uh, Alcorn, um, and so Tennessee State, and so to like see the people putting this together and to hear Beyonce talk so firmly about um, uh, HBCU band culture mm-hmm. was just like, it was like a love letter to like some of my teen years. Yeah. You know? Cause I was in that band and I, I, I saw the, the, the dance girls and like I, w- I was in the halftime shows and I went to the battle of the bands. Um, and she just, it's like a love letter to that era. Um, and it's just good. Like homegirl is, you just get reminded like how consummate of a performer she is. Yeah. Like she had just had twins. Like she had just had, like she, they also show footage of her, um, like going back to, uh, rehearse for the first time, like after giving, giving birth. Mm -hmm. And she's had some of the weight on and like, you can see, you can see her kind of like a little stiff and uncomfortable, you know, learning the steps. But, um, you just have a whole new respect for her. And even she says that she would never push herself like that again because I imagine it was scary. And she also had um, kind of a troublesome uh, pregnancy. Um, so knowing that, like the whole story, and to see what, what she pulled off and what these amazing black creators and, and dancers and producers and musicians and singers pulled off, mm-hmm. you really get the... By watching the documentary, you really get the entire scope of like what it took and all the people involved. Yeah. So good. I definitely want to see it, but I feel like what's already excited me is learning 
the business end of what Beyonce did with Coachella Mm -hmm. and how she took kind of what seemed like a cut on the front end as far as what she got paid for their performance, but then negotiated sole rights to the audio and visual, which then now allows her to have a $60 million Netflix deal and then get the residuals for the streaming for forever. And so that is like when she said, pay me when, pay me in equity, watch me reverse out of debt. Like that's what that is. And this is Homecoming was apparently only the first of three specials. So there's so there's oh my two, two more coming. Uh, yes, I thank can't you. Can't wait. Thank you. <laughs> um, and that's like a perfect when we get into our guest today about this idea of revenue streams and how a lot of what business ownership is is pursuing those. Um, so our guest today is Simone Tate, founder and principal from HeartSpace. New York, and also an executive mentor and go- growth strategy leader. Um, so she has a lot just to target us on how we can pursue revenue. She knows a lot about about a lot. A lot. <laughs> yes. All right. Come on back, guys. Okay. So our guest today is Simone Tate, who is the founder and principal of HeartSpace New York, and also an executive mentor and a growth strategy leader. Um, so a little bit about HeartSpace New York. So it's a collaborative consulting agency focused on companies that are seeking to accelerate revenue and are dedicated to investing in sales training and committed to creating a healthy sales ecosystem. She's also a doula. She does triathlons. She renovates houses. <laughs> like, is there anything you don't do? She's Captain well, Marvel. Okay. <laughs> well, okay, so that very last one, renovate houses, I put in a strong 3% to the renovations. But, but you, all, you also used to do 3%. interior memory and like people's gardens. She was it, over it, here it's so doing gardens in Brooklyn. All my friends, and it was such a particular time in my life, and I think it was also like the biggest growth opportunity that was happening at that point in my life. But all my friends used to dub my things gardens by Simone houses by Simone cooking by Simone. And she would just like walk past, be talking to someone and they, and she would, present herself as an expert and they would be like wait i have a garden that i need to be done and someone's like sure i know some i know some people that are in this industry listen the best strategists because we will be talking about that are resourceful and also able to think through solutions which is just a passion of mine yeah yeah that all works out for me and i will say on a personal note you know simone came into my life at a very right before a very tough time so i met her about two months before uh, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. I met her literally two weeks after leaving, being let go from a job and like not being sure how I was going to navigate New York with no job. Um, and so God definitely just like placed us at the right time because Simone really pushed me to show up for myself. And at the end of the day, we are here. We have communities, but it is us. It is our lives. And so mm-hmm. how are we going to show up for ourselves? Um, so I just, I know that just the kind of friend that you are, that today you will come with all of that equal parts, reading, dragging, inspiring, (laughs) reminding you that like you have control over what happens to you to a certain extent. And so we all need to show up. That is right. Oh my, I really did rub off on you, didn't I? (laughs) Yeah. Do you hear me? (laughs) Yes. I I remember it all. I love this. Yes. So I know in your professional life, you have helped so many major companies pursue revenue streams. So help us. How can someone who's just starting out get closer to, you know, I think on our end, it's a lot of sponsorships is what we're thinking about. And a startup's end, it's talking about investments. How can we get closer to that? Yeah. You know, I'm going to start tactically first. Okay. And I'm also going to go back because that was such a lovely intro. Thank you so much. That (laughs) is what that is what my bio says today. (laughs) But I also want to remind everyone that we start somewhere. Mm -hmm. And for me, starting somewhere meant corporate America many, many moons ago now about 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. When I went to my first startup, though, which was um, maybe about four years after leaving a fortune 500 company, um, what I 
learned in the corporate world was a strong foundation in quantitative approaches to business. I was in retail on the buying side. So people think it's really glamorous, but actually it's a bunch of number crunching. I could have worked on Wall Street and probably made triple what I I was was making. And there's little money in it for how much work it is. And I think retail has changed quite a bit because the landscape has changed. Mm -hmm. Um, But back then it just wasn't nurturing. But being resourceful allows you to think like a strategist. It allows you to think through solutions in the most lean possible way. Um, So that's the first thing. The second thing for for sure is to look at the the picture of where you are right now as kind of just like a puzzle piece in the larger puzzle, Mm. right? And puzzles are all about the pieces coming together. And metaphorically speaking, it's not like you open up a puzzle box and all the pieces are there perfectly and you're just putting them together. You have to figure it out. Mm. And a lot of that also takes patience. That brings me to, um, or reminds me of two companies that are really in the news right now. So uh, Lyft just went public, right? Yeah. The uh, ride-sharing company. And Uber is about to go public. This Mm -hmm. has been reported. And you look at those two companies and you think, like, Lyft is mostly, like, their their sole uh, revenue is from rides, but Uber has thought, like, to what you were saying, more experimentation, more um, quantitative uh, research and thinking about where are we going to make money in 10 years when there's, like, five other ride-sharing services. Um, so I don't know if you could talk about that a bit, like, how important it is to um, – how important experimentation is and then, like, you know, just diversifying your – your revenue streams because it's it's scary right to like have a full-time job and have bills to pay but also kind of plant trying to plant seeds um of something that might you know yield uh some fruit later yeah no that's a great question okay so lyft shout out to all my friends at lyft by the way that were there with the (laughs) ipo um that's a big deal you know for a long time we in the tech community, looking at these ride-sharing apps and companies growing at exponential clips. I mean, just exponential clips Mm -hmm. um, in and outside of the U.S. and thinking, is the valuation actually into the billions? And Mm -hmm. if that is true, what is going to be that price? Like, how can they even IPO? Like, they have no other choice but to do that. And what does that look like? Mm -hmm. Um, But diversification is important though i probably have an unpopular point Uh-oh. of view Ooh, on tell that us, tell us which is um you need to be sticking to your mission and your impact mm-hmm. but you also need to do something really well mm-hmm. right like before you decide to start mm, doing diversifying yeah. your portfolio and uh, and i can just say this from you know both professionally and personally where you put your attention where you put your energy where you put your intent mm-hmm. is where you're going to get the most gains right. grass grows where you water it Absolutely. Yeah. And so diversification, although exciting, I mean, for all of us, think about, um, you know, getting the goosebumps thinking about even category expansion, mm-hmm. uh, which Uber did, right? So Uber said, all right, well, we have, by the way, a really strong platform that we've established now, right, right with our now core product. Mm-hmm. Now let's look at what do other people need? And we're also talking about a behemoth of a company that also has an extraordinary amount of data, granular data to each and every one of their users. Mm-hmm. So are you taking your ride share to the closest Popeyes or your Wendy's or Chipotle or whatever it is, right? So like taking that data and then saying, okay, let's introduce something. Let's try something like Uber Eats, Mm -hmm. right? Or let's try something like um, 
uh, pool, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. it has become very, very popular um, for them. Uh, but they did try something that didn't work. And I'll tell you what that was, because I was living in San Francisco when it happened. Mm-hmm. They tried to do Uber, like helicopter, Uber what? flight thing. Oh, yeah. Didn't work for them. <laughs> that, that came and went very quickly. Wow. Um, and then... And, it, right, and those are the things, sorry, like those are the things we don't hear about. Right. right. We hear all the awesome Uber eats all of these but then it's just like oh uber helicopter didn't do well and it didn't work and you know if we're talking about the revenue side of it you know diversification is also although important is also a privilege for where Mm. you are in your revenue Mm -hmm. flow Mm -hmm. um and let's be really clear diversification is not pivoting pivoting is completely different it's saying this isn't working in my product Mm -hmm. and based on what the market is telling me based on where we are in the business, we need to almost like um, not starting over again, but certainly uh, quickly turn or pivot to what we think is really the future or the product that we need to be building here. So I saw on, um, on Heartspace's website that you also help clients in creating content. So like tech forward content. So I imagine that's that's like, um, starting a starting a blog or putting out materials that kind of describe what the company does and their technical solutions. That's right. So I was curious, being that we have started a podcast, and also I'm a I'm a writer, a freelancer, um, at the moment, and so. Um, you know, sometimes like content creation can feel like a you're on a treadmill. Totally. <laughs> like, you know, it's your your like your earnings are so tied to what you put out. Um, and so it's just feel like in order to like really be not be succeeding and thriving and not just like getting by, you have to like do a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And so um I- I'm curious like how you would advise a, a pure play like content business or operation in, in terms of like revenue growth. Yeah. Oh, pure play <laughs> content. That's a tough question. Can you guys explain pure play content? Sure. JJ, why don't you take yeah, that? Yeah. So pure play is just um, what, so like Uber is no longer a pure play ride sharing company because they do all these other things now. Like they deliver food and pure play just means like what your, you know, what your, uh, your core business is. You know, that's right you really don't do anything else so i don't i'm mostly a pure play content creator mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah yeah so look i think the con- the content piece of any business today um is so important but it's also really daunting um especially if you're the one that's doing everything I say, if you're in sales, we call it a full sales cycle person, right? So they're doing everything in the sales cycle, but you might be a full cycle CEO, right? So you're actually doing everything in your company. The reason why content is important, and um, by the way, one of the things that we introduced for HeartSpace, and that was because of the feedback coming from clients and then the work that we were doing with them, um, is really more around the structure of what that content should look like. So specifically with any content, once you start and you start with a schedule or whatever that looks like, your audience is expecting you to stick to that schedule. Mm -hmm. So you guys produce a podcast, right? So your audience expects you on the day that you release a podcast every week or whatever that looks like, they're expecting it. They're expecting it at that time. They're expecting probably new content, Mm -hmm. right? Every time so that you keep them intrigued and you also keep them engaged with what you're doing. But that is the one one thing that I will say that content is so tightly tied to expectations. Mm. So if you're not ready to do that, mm. then don't start That's until good. you are ready. That's really mm. good. Because once you're on it, you're on it. That's right. Mm. And take that to heart. Mm. Um, because that is the number one way, by the way, that people lose sales, just tying that back, wow. is in not following up. Seventy. Mm percent plus of sales are lost in the follow-up there's not consistency and you're not 
tightening up what the follow-up cadence actually looks like. So I apply those same rules to content. Um, So that's the number one thing. I say, okay, if you're ready, and I don't care what the medium is, right? It could be a newsletter. It could be a blog. It could be your Instagram. It could be uh, video or, or, you know, audio. It doesn't matter. But whatever you're choosing, um, you need to commit to that, to the time first. And then just one more thing on that. Um, You said something really interesting about um, the follow-up, right? And then yeah. I'm curious about, like, the the psychology behind that. Like, why, when you don't follow up on a sale or a lead or whatever it might be, um, why does it create that gap and, like, result in a 70% sale loss? Like, yeah. what's missing there? Well, I think the psychology, but for the person that's received that, – so you're, you're the one doing the following up um, – when you miss it in a cadence, and I call it a cadence, but really what I mean is that um, you should, <laughs> I don't care how transactional your sale is, you don't want to be like beating someone over the head every day, right? Because that it's like dating, that's also a turnoff, right? <laughs> You're not going to be Leave reading, me alone. exactly, but exactly, <laughs> like, please, like, but we're give also out here losing space. 70% of those, right? So <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but if, if you are the one that's actually, you know, sending the follow up. Well, actually, let me start on the other side. If I'm the one expecting to receive the follow-up and I'm not hearing from you, it is not my job to hunt you down. And I think every salesperson or every person that needs to follow up, we're all guilty of this, right? Because the other things get in the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but that customer doesn't know that they're just a warm lead and not a hot lead. That customer doesn't know that you have more revenue tied to something else than you do to them. That's not the point, right? The point is, is to, uh, we're talking a lot about nurturing your network. It is also about nurturing your customer um, so that they feel really trusted. So I think the psychology um, goes back to expectations and missing those expectations. And that's just a human, that's just a human experience thing, right? Which is I expected this, and I didn't receive it. And so now my trust notch that just went down one, you have such a strategic mind, like even when we're not necessarily talking about business, I yeah. feel like it's always <laughs> like, you're like, what about this? Do we think about this? Do you think that's something that can be developed? Or is that something that you just like you were coming out the womb, figuring out the playground strategy? Yeah. <laughs> no, I you know, it was it's like building a muscle. I just happened throughout my career um, before owning my own company. I just happened to be uh, in circumstances which allowed me to build those muscles. Um, and especially on the sales side, when you have a new product to market. There's very little education in the market, which was probably four of my startups, almost all of them that I went to, no one actually knew what the product was, right? And no one knew what this new thing was and how it would impact their lives. So 80% of my time was just spent educating the market. Um, And in that, it also means asking a lot of questions. And so the questions led to, okay, so here's the problem and let me figure out the best solution. Do you do any, because you, you talked about strengthening the muscle. And yeah. Do you have like tools that you use or games that you play or, you know, just to yeah. start to make make sure that your mind is still stretching in those ways? Totally. So um, three big things. One, I read every day sounds so fundamental and elementary. I'm reading something new every single day. I read everything from Fast Company to, yeah, (laughs) New York Times to uh, uh, Medium. Um, I want to have my finger on the pulse. The second thing is stretch yourself, really stretch yourself. So there are engagements where and women tend to do this. We're like, no, we can't do that thing until we're 100% ready to do it. I don't think that way. I'm like, as long as I'm 40 to 50% up on what needs to happen, I can outsource and resource the other part of it, because I need to learn it as well. Mm. And that is is super important. So um, for a long time, I was known as the woman that would say yes 
to things that other people would say no to. And I'm not talking about being one of these people that says yes to everything because I don't know my boundaries. That is not true. I say no to a lot. But I would say yes to the hardest problems, the hardest challenges. And what would happen is most people were like, great. I mean, I don't have to do it anymore. Oh, Simone wants to do this thing. Mm -hmm. No one would want to be on the team or no one understood the vision, but that's okay. I sat with that problem. I worked through the I started to resource where I needed to. I certainly didn't know everything that I needed to. And then guess what? I mean, this, this has happened so many times. I don't even have a particular example, but there was a team when I was at Guilt um, where, you know, I actually moved back to California, back to New York to, you know, build this team and this internal sales team at the time. And the most amazing thing was that nobody wanted to be on the team. So I ended <laughs> up hiring every single person outside of the organization wow. within three, maybe four months of us turning that ship around and introducing new process. And it was going really well. Everybody wanted to be on the team. Right. But that's because I said yes to mm-hmm. something that right. most people were saying advice. no. That's such good advice because what happens is when you say yes to those types of things that other people say no to, there's a a, a, a currency with you, with other people around that, Absolutely. That, you that will stick with you forever. They're Absolutely. Like, oh, well, we can get after him because he can handle it. Absolutely. Yeah. So I know that some of what you do through mentorship both personal I don't know professional but I know from just a personal aspect is kind of teaching this idea of working smart as you're working hard right and so um, I would love to hear you talk about either technology resources or anything you've come across that helps you work smarter while you're working harder look there are some technology things just like straight up every day that I use that make life easier. Slack. Slack is a big one. And that comes down to communication, I right? So I love to connect. Okay, this is what the technology is solving for me. But here's like the archaic thing that we're actually, mm-hmm. you know, that's actually at the root of which what we're talking to doing, which is talking to <laughs> each other. Effective communication. Yeah. Um. So I love Slack. Slack allows me to be in channels with my clients at Anytime. And it allows them to be in touch with me, obviously not just via text, which I love as well. But Slack keeps me organized and it allows this like art of communication that didn't exist because of that entire platform and what its solutions for. So Slack is a big thing. And by the way, anyone can start a Slack channel, right? This is not something that is specific to you know, having a huge company. So many companies there are a use lot of, Slack. Like, fan groups and communities and even like uh nonprofits and activists. Absolutely. Slack. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um the second thing that I do in terms of technology is I love a good Google Docs, Google Drive. Oh, so Google do I everything. Girl. This one knows that anytime we're doing something collaborative, I'm like, I made a doc. That's right. <laughs> okay. Yes, That's right. <laughs> I love it. And then we're that, not sending things back and forth. Oh, it's yeah. all there and I can like keep my eye on when you're working on it that's right that. and look there are all sorts of things you know obviously I'm not getting paid by any of these amazing rich companies so but <laughs> you know I, but it, what we're solving for there is collaboration right. that's exactly why I love drive um, I'll clue y'all into a little something I can't go too much into it but um, I am have a second company that I'm super excited about. Um, It's a women's health tech company. And we are going into our beta launch very soon, very shortly, um, within the next month or so. So you'll hear more about that. But one, I, I, can't tell you the name of it until my trademarks are okay. all zipped yes, up. We get that. <laughs> but as soon as it does, I will. I'll be happy to share. Um, but I bring up collaboration because I have a kick-ass, amazing product partner who is based in California. And so the way that we're knocking out all of our deadlines and collaboration and all the things that we need to do is using things like Drive. But there's also Airtable. I mean, there are a bunch of things that you can do. Um, And then the third thing that I've always done, and it is one of the things that HeartSpace, if I'm going to plug them just a little, what we do really, really well is we build out your 
internal communication ecosystem. So your CRM, your sales automation platforms. What does CRM stand for? Oh, sorry. Client relationship management. So, or customer relationship management. So like a Salesforce or a HubSpot or a Zoho. Oh, there's so many of them out there now. But it is the one source, one place of truth for all of your customer data um, and how you're not just communicating with them through email, et cetera, but your contracts that you can plug in there. I mean, really, it is the best place that you can think about being really um, organized and essential, kind of the heartbeat uh, to, to your organization once you start to get into technology that's really supporting what the structure, the architecture of, of your internal organization should look like. And so we do a lot of that at HeartSpace. Probably, I would say, 80% of our clients that hire us hire us to do that. Um, and I have, you know, uh, certified developers on, on my team and uh, who are director level or above. And I mean, it's, it's just been really fantastic. I do the same with my with with HeartSpace, right? So I need exactly that same setup to be able to very quickly look at a snapshot every day and not just be productive, but also see where are we missing out on things? Right. Where where did we drop in follow up? Like all of those things. So you know, technology certainly helps on a daily basis um, in so many ways. But you know, I will say I pick up the phone more than I'm doing anything else, and I I do think that is really important, right? To say to someone, hey, I need 15 minutes of your time to chat about something. Um, just picking up that phone and that nurturing the network mm-hmm. part of it, which is on a weekly basis, I have probably two to three coffee meetings um, or video chats with folks. And I want I just want to know what's going on with them. And especially with this second new business, I'm constantly pitching, elevator pitching to them. How does it sound? Tell me your feedback, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, that's what I that's what I'm doing today for technology to to help out. Yeah. And those are thank you for that. Those are really helpful tools. Um, I think productivity as millennials who are out here side hustling and main hustling and trying to pay back these student loans and like, you know, just figuring yeah. all these things out. I think anything that can push us to be a little more productive is always awesome. So can I just drop one little gem in here, though? But it all comes from you, right? You can have as much technology as you want. But if you don't have the work ethic, or if you don't have a place that you're starting from, that is coming from a place that's deeper than just your, let's call it passion, then um, it doesn't matter what kind of tech ecosystem you have set up for yourself. It doesn't right. matter what mentors you have. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. what you have plugged in. Let me just tell you all, for millennials and anyone else, you have to do the work. Right. Or as like as I like to say, do the effing work. Yeah. You just have to do the work. That's where it starts. So... Yeah. Well, y'all heard that, I'm sure. If <laughs> Very you wide right, if you on, weren't listening on. before, I'm sure you are now. <laughs> Thank you so much, Simone. You really I mean, I had no doubt that you were gonna bring all the knowledge and you definitely did. So I thank go you. Take over the world now. Yes. Yeah. Let's get out Let's there. Let's do it together. Yes. <laughs> all right, thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course. I feel like Simone has the holy grail to like working super smart and super hard like somehow she is able to find that balance and its goals yeah i mean she seems to have a lot figured out yeah she seems to um know her way around the tech ecosystem here in new york and i'm really looking forward to what else she um will be coming out with yes me too all right it's time for our llc and that means learned loved canceled where we just kind of reflect on our week and say anything we are LLCing. Um, so my canceled this week is, I don't know if you remember the story about the North Carolina fifth grader who died two days after being in a fight in school. I didn't see that. Um, her name was Renaya Wright. Okay. And she had been bullied. Um, she was a fifth grader at Forest Hills Elementary in Walterboro. She had been bullied, got in a fight where she hit her head, and then two days later was dead. Um, The coroner autopsy came back this week, and they had the nerve to say that this girl died of natural causes. What? That it wasn't connected to the death, that she died uh, due to some 
heart valve malformation. She's 10. Wow. 10-year-olds do not die of natural causes. So what are they trying to cover up for? They're right, and that's what I'm and that's what the mom is the mom is saying that she's surprised, but I'm like I think we need to go a step past being surprised and try to figure out why they would be saying that about a 10-year-old who died 2 days after a fight. Right. Um and so yeah, the the county pro- prosecutor is now disputing the rights claim saying that the fight played no role in the death. And for me, it's just like we talk about like how precarious being a black body is. And it's just like I I can't imagine that that is normal practice Mm. to do an autopsy of a 10 year old's body and say, oh, okay, well, it was just right. And like, we're not going to dig any further. We're not going to. And so I just want to cancel the Colton County prosecutor. Duffy Stone and just like how disgusting and how disgusting that you would present this to a mother who just lost her child 10 years old old. like when will life matter um so I I just wanted to say her name and talk about this case because I feel like it deserves more attention than it's been getting yeah for sure um but on a positive note my love is Lizzo's new album (gasps) Have you I like it heard? Too. I don't love uh, it yet because I'm not done listening. Yeah, but juice, Le- juice on. is a mantra. I want to sip all of it. Juice is a mantra. <laughs> Tempo is a manifesto. Cause I love you is a mood. Mm-hmm. Like I. So last night, actually, on my way back from Harlem, hanging out with you, I was like stuck on a billion trains. I literally took five trains and a shuttle and an Uber Stop home. It. Stop it. Y'all, by the way, this girl had to come by my house yesterday, and she going to charge her phone to, like, she was dead to 50%. Like, you're going literally an hour downtown. Okay, I'm not, about I'm about to drag you because not a journey it's to not Chicago. true, though. I'm glad that I had it because I really had to take, what, what trains by you? The C and the... Mm-hmm. The, the B and the B. Mm-hmm. So I had to take the B, which then wasn't going past Columbus Circle. So then I got on the D. There was some issue at J Street Metro. I had to get on a C. Then I had to get off and get on a shuttle that didn't take me all the way home. And then I had to call an Uber. So think if my phone had not been charged more. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm at, five foot zero, tall. I was not. I was at nine percent. I'm five foot tall, trying to travel home Don't at eleven me feel p.m. Bad now. I am because that's like this is not. I, I don't get to like move about and not think about safety. Mm-hmm. And so to me, not having a charge phone is very unsafe. And I was very glad that I had it yesterday because I was like having a really tough time getting home. So last night I was happy to have Lizzo's album to keep me company. And um, I just love her and like the performance she did on Jimmy Kimmel this week where she was getting her hair braided during the performance. <gasps> you have to watch it. Watch She's that. just like a, such a gift. And uh, this album's really good and i'm like excited to keep playing it, i really so. started standing for her um at coachella because there were all these like weird malfunctions on there and uh the sound her sound went out while she was performing but she kept going and so did her dancers that's she's <laughs> great so yes that is my love i'm very thankful for it. and she beat out homecoming for most downloaded album oh <laughs> Well, right. She was like, I gasp, like, right. y'all. Look, she, I'm, I'm pretty sure she was like, I'm so sorry, Beyonce. Right, like, like, like exactly. Like, she's like, I don't know how this has happened, but Beyonce, you should, you deserve it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But yes, it was great. What about you? My learned this week is that, um, to borrow a phrase from this Wired story, my lack of sleep is killing me. Oh, <laughs> so, you know, I say that to you though. I'm like, when you do, do you sleep? You do. I have very sporadic sleep patterns and, um, you know, because I'm a freelancer, I, you know, I can kind of like set my own schedule, but it's what ends up happening is because I don't regiment myself, I end up like kind of staying up a little longer, you know, uh, than usual, but still have to get up early to like take calls and emails, whatever the case um, and it's a mentality that I'm trying to break out of, but it really, you know, this wire story was pretty, um, comprehensive and it, it, uh, is by this writer, Emily Dreyfus, and she went to, um, TED 2019, um, to hear this TED talk from this neuroscientist called, um, his name is Matthew Walker. 
And he says, um, the decimation of sleep is, um, he says, the decimation of sleep throughout industrialized nations is having a catastrophic impact on our health, our wellness, even the safety and education of our children. It's a silent sleep loss epidemic, epidemic, and it's fast becoming one of the greatest challenges we face in the 21st century. And I totally like believe him. Like there, I've I've worked at places um, um, where there was like you know text threads going on all night and like. You know, like kind of like this expectation that you have to um, be, be up all the time right. to respond to something, or if something goes wrong on like an Instagram post or something, like you have to get up to respond to whomever. And I think you know it speaks to our work culture, our work culture in 2019, where we just we take pride in like go 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 go. Mm-hmm. You know, especially in New York. And Simone talked about that. Like yeah. that is like our badge and of it's honor not healthy. It's, it's not it's not healthy along with a host of other other things about living in new york that aren't healthy right but. yet we're here and then i just want to like talk about some of the you know like i said it got me researching some of the effects of of um sleep loss and one um you know it can dumb you down you know like when you sleep your brain basically is resetting so it can impair um if you get a lack of sleep you're it can impair attention, alertness, concentration. Um, it can lead to heart disease, irregular heartbeat. Um, you know, apparently 90% of people with insomnia also have another health condition. It can kill your sex drive, which I definitely do not want. So, <laughs> so Get some sleep. I am, I'm going to be more intentional about um, getting, you know, my seven, eight hours Every night, no matter what I have to do the next day. And I just want to encourage our listeners to do the same because we really have to take better care of ourselves. Yeah. Go to sleep, y'all. Go to sleep. All right. That's it. That's all. I'm really loving this episode. Yeah. And I'm really excited. So next week, we're both traveling. JJ has a huge thing happening, a huge event in (laughs) Atlanta. Um, And I'm going to be traveling to Pittsburgh to visit family. And so we have like a bonus episode for you guys. Um, that I'm really excited. I hope you guys like it, and then we can keep doing more. Yeah, of it. we are. I I think so. I think we're you know we're trying a different kind of format and bringing some new type of uh, types of content for yeah. you guys. So come on and back. I think that you will enjoy it. Yes. So please check show notes, listener survey, listener support, um, Patreon, Instagram. Instagram <laughs> all of that will be on there. Follow us at Yo Business Pod. All right. Love you guys. Love y'all. Bye. Bye.